Well, we are in our series on the Ten Commandments, and I tell you, it's been, it's been challenging for me, you know, even as we started off the series, just looking at it and this idea that, you know, seeing how much the Ten Commandments are these principles that impact so many other things, and it's just been really, I've learned a lot, and I hope that you have as well. We're, we're kind of back to the Ninth Commandment this morning. We're going to look at that again, and, uh, and we're going to look at, at a couple passages and, uh, you know, not only the Ninth Commandment, but we're going to see a couple other passages, especially, I really want to spend some time in John chapter 8. We know the Ninth Commandment given in Exodus. It's very simple. Uh, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And again, one of the passages we're going to spend some time with this morning as well that, uh, that we want to just draw your attention to in John chapter 8, 31 and 32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have to be here this morning. Thank you for the privilege that we have to look at your word, Father, to see truth, truth that can set us free. I pray now your blessing in our time. I pray that you would speak through me and in spite of me, Father, that your spirit would, uh, would work so that your truth would come out, not my opinions, but Father, that somehow your timeless truth would speak to each one of our hearts and help us to have hearts that are open to hear and, and respond, to understand, and uh, to respond to what you have for us this morning. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we've come to the Ten Commandments, we've consistently seen that there are these foundational principles that impact all kinds of other things. And this morning, we're going to look at truth. And not only what it means to tell the truth, but even behind that, there's this broader question of what is truth? And, and that's a huge question. It impacts all kinds of stuff. In fact, even if you looked at probably the biggest news, news story of this past week, it's been the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse and, and uh, the fact that he was, after a three-week trial, two-plus days of, of um, de- deliberating, the jury found him not guilty on all charges. And, um, and there were some that celebrated this as a vic- verdict as justice winning out over what they would, saw as a politically charged accusation. But meanwhile, others protested as a travesty of justice, even so much so that the result has been in numerous cities, all kinds of protests and even riots. And you have to look at it and say, why is there such this incredible division in this response and understanding of what's going on? And and I think some of it is evident if you just listen to news. If you go to one source of news, you're going to hear one story of the events And the way that it's told, you're going to conclude that the verdict should be extremely obvious. It's right there. But meanwhile, you change channels and you go to another news source and you hear another completely different story of what happened. And from that story, again, you would come to the opposite conclusion of what the obvious verdict should be. I don't think it's even a question of both sides giving different interpretation of the facts. That's that's been something that has been an issue in the past. But this time, if you listen, it's almost that there are two different set of facts. And and that shouldn't be the case, because in this case, the facts seem to be pretty clear. There's even video evidence of everything that happened that night. So we're not questioning about what happened. But at least for some that are involved in the trial, it seems as if the goal really isn't to discover the truth of what actually happened, as if truth was this objective reality that could be discovered. Instead, it seems that they have their own feelings and opinions about their truth, about their story. 
And things like the video evidence of what actually happened kind of have to be manipulated to fit their truth. So we've got to ask, what is truth? Is there such thing as my truth? Or is truth something that goes beyond us? And this is a really important question. As we're coming to the ninth commandment, again, we read a moment ago, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. We see on the one hand, it seems to be a clear command against lying. But yet we've seen throughout the Ten Commandments that they're not just moral rules. They're not just commandments against telling us what to do morally. See, if we look at them just as a moral rule, what happens is we focus on behavior. And God not only wants to deal with our behavior, he wants to deal with our heart. And there are principles that are behind this. There are these 10 foundational ideas that God isn't just saying, okay, well, here's, you know, here's 10 rules. Here's 10 more guidelines to live by. There are 10 foundational principles that through the moral law, they're giving us deeper truths, deeper principles that God wants us to build on our, cult our culture. There are principles for our good. In fact, throughout the earlier part of the series, when over the summer we were looking at the first ones, we talked about them being like a game of Jenga. And for those that were here this summer, you might remember we had this giant Jenga set that was up here on the stage for, uh, throughout the summer. And, and what we said is that this idea is when you think about the game of Jenga, you know that you've got to be careful removing all the blocks. But as the game progresses, there are certain blocks that become, in a sense, foundational. You know, you have certain blocks that the whole thing rests on. If I remove this block, the whole thing's coming down. I cannot remove this block without the tower coming down. It's become foundational because it's holding up the tower. And what we're talking about here is that, okay, if, if, if you recognize, okay, that's foundational, what happens? The truth is that if I remove a foundational block, the tower is always going to come down at every time. And if the Ten Commandments are these foundational truths, the idea here is that they are foundational ideas to the tower that we're trying to build in our life, that we're trying to build in our culture. And if we ignore them, if we disregard them, if we remove them in any way, what's going to happen is crisis, chaos. And again, I think there's so much when we look at so many issues of what's going on in our culture, it's because we're ignoring and removing these blocks. Now, Again, last week we began looking at the ninth commandment, and we saw that again, it's not just a rule, it's a principle where God's not only dealing with our behavior, he's, he wants to deal with who we are, not only what we do. He always speaks to the heart, the heart issue. See, if we focus just on the rules, that's a rule against lying, you shall not lie, then what happens is that we then look at the rules and we find loopholes. And so, well, was that really a lie? Well, technically I'm telling the truth. Even if I meant to deceive, I can claim that I'm keeping the rule. Or is a, is a white lie a lie? Or what if I'm lying to, to not hurt somebody's feelings? Well, well, then it's really a good thing. A lie is really a good thing. And so what we do is when we focus on the rules, we justify, we reinterpret. And that leads to some of what we talked about last week where you had a survey done where 91% of Americans admit that they lie on a regular basis. Another study that was done that found that, on, that amongst Americans, Americans lie a minimum of 25 times a day or more. And yet at the same time, as we look at those numbers, another survey was done that shows the vast majority of Americans consider themselves to be extremely honest and trustworthy. And it's like, how can you admit that you lie all the time and at the same time think that you're extremely honest and trustworthy? Why? Because we're focused on the rules and we're distorting them and we're confusing them and 
And we're not looking at the heart issue. God, God not only doesn't want, he doesn't want us just to look at the rule, he wants us to look at character. He wants us to develop the character of honesty, and that's a much different standard. Look at what Ephesians says about this. Ephesians 4, therefore having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And what he's saying here is that we can put aside falsehood and still be deceptive. I can technically not lie and deceive someone, but if I develop the character of truthfulness, that I seek to tell the truth, well, suddenly then I've taken care of the positive character, lying is not going to be an issue. And God is saying, I want my people to have character of truthfulness, that you seek to be truthful. Now, our culture has devalued this whole idea of lying, but it is extremely important. And we need to realize that it's something that is, is, as far as a Christ, it's vital not only for us, but even for our culture. As we see in the Ten Commandments, what is this foundational principle? It's a block that is at the bottom of the tower. Now, deep down, we know this. We know it's foundational. The fact is, when we think of our relationships, we know that all positive relationships are built of a foundation to some degree of trust. You know, a little bit of dishonesty can do an awful lot of destruction to the foundation and then over time, the relationship beyond that. And it's not only foundational to our relationships, it's foundational to the culture as a whole. In fact, if you look at the commandment itself, you see that the commandment itself tells us this. It tells us, pointing to this idea that it's foundational to a healthy culture, to relationships. Look at the commandment. It says what? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, if you have your Bibles open in Exodus, look at the commandments right before this. Do you see maybe a difference of the wording? Commandments right before this. You shall not murder. Okay, command, stop. You know, you shall not commit adultery. It tells us what not to do, and then period. You shall not steal. Again, straightforward. Now, why doesn't it just say, you shall not lie? You shall not bear false witness. No, instead it adds something. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, I think even in the commandment that, that it's the way that God has given it, given it, he's telling us that this is a commandment that's dealing with relationships. And any time that we allow dishonesty, what happens is human community is destroyed. Relationships are destroyed. People are destroyed when we don't tell the truth. Think about it. Think about your marriage if you're married. Think about your family relationships, your closest friends. All those relationships depend to some degree on trust. And the idea that you trust the other person is telling you the truth. And what happens when you've, if you've had a relationship, and all of us have, where somebody starts telling lies and being dishonest, what happens is, over time, those relationships become strained. They may have, you may have had close friends in the past you're no longer friends with. This week at Thanksgiving, you're going to see people, family members that you maybe have great distance with because you don't trust them. In fact, even in marital counseling, probably one of the most significant things that marriage counseling deals with is that, it, that there's a crisis that comes from a break in trust. And so whether it's a perceived break in trust, whether it's been some, a real break of an affair, whether it's a pattern of dishonesty or deception that has been over time, suddenly there's this broken trust and the relationship is in crisis. And a counselor is going to try to say, how do we rebuild the trust? Can we build, rebuild the trust? Because it's vital that we do. Because a strong relationship will not survive over the long run if there's a lack of trust, a lack of, of, of trusting the other person to be truthful. 
See, it's not only true in the context of even relationships, it's true in cultures as well. I've talked to people who have spent time in third world countries um, on missions or in other, other ways, and I'll hear them talk about how dysfunctional this culture is at every level of the society. And, and as I hear them talk about that, you realize that much of this dysfunction is rooted in a lack of trust. What happens is you can't believe anyone. People look at that and say, well, we can't believe the government. They say it's safe, but it's not, so we can't go out at, you know, can't go out at night. The government says that the water is safe, but we don't trust that the water is really safe, so people instead go out and buy bottled water, which is expensive and, and, and uh, you know, really inconvenient. And, and not only that, but especially on missions, they, they may not even wash that much because the water might make you sick. It's that bad. And, but now you get sick because you're not washing. And you don't trust the you know, stores and salespeople because they don't tell the truth, and so the economy suffers, or you don't trust the banks because you don't know if they're going to return all the money you deposited, so said so that hurts the economy further. You don't trust the radio, you don't trust the news because everything is propaganda, they won't tell the truth. You don't trust law enforcement because too many of them are, are victims of corruption, and, and so suddenly you don't trust anyone. And what happens is the whole culture doesn't work. Nothing works, you have a dysfunctional culture and it's rooted in the sense of there's a total lack of trust, of truth-telling. My friends, this is vital. And we've got to realize that, okay, we're not there, but when we look at our own lives, and we may sometimes think, well, everybody else is telling a lie, our culture accepts it, and what's a big deal? My little lie really isn't that big of a deal. And, and it's easy to justify it in our culture, but we need to realize that Lying always does damage. Deception always does damage. And if we want healthy relationship, God calls us to be people of truth. If you want to build a healthy and, healthy and functional culture, God calls us to be people of truth. People who not only seek to tell the truth, but who call out when, when deception is, is evident. And, and who celebrate uh, this pursuit of truth within the broader culture. But even as we look at the importance of truth-telling, as a foundation. There's a sense that I can back up and say, if that's a foundation, there's something even underneath that. In a sense, if that's the foundation, there's a bedrock that's underneath the foundation. And that bedrock is the idea of absolute truth, absolute and objective truth. It's the idea that there is such thing as truth, truth that doesn't change, truth that is true for everyone, truth that is true whether we like it or not, Think of it this way, even when we talk about truth-telling. The argument for telling the truth presupposes that there's such a thing as a truth to be told. If we don't agree that there's such a thing as truth, how do you even argue about the ninth commandment? You see, if there's no such thing as absolute truth, then there's no such thing as a lie. I'm not lying. I could say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm telling my truth. And because it's my truth, because I feel it to be true for me, well, therefore, it's true. See, it doesn't matter what facts happen, it's my truth. And if we accept this idea of truth, then what we're doing is we're undermining this foundation of culture, something that, again, that you see the culture is going to fall apart. So the problem is we have become confused about the very definition of what truth is. You know, it used to be that most, if not all, people agreed on what truth was. It was a simple idea of what you talk about what is truth, and everybody understood it. In fact, I looked up a dictionary definition of truth, and it's a simple definition. 
but it reflects kind of the old-fashioned idea of truth was something absolute. A de simple definition, truth is, uh, is that which is in accordance with fact and reality. Meaning there is fact, there is reality, there is something outside of us, and truth is aligning ourselves with that, tr that fact and reality that is outside of us. It means aligning ourselves with what is real. Now today, people talk about my truth or relative, tr relative truth, meaning that my opinion or my feelings about something makes it true for me. But the reality is that there is a fact and a reality that exists outside of me. And my feelings about that, my opinions about that doesn't change what's real. For us to be healthy, we need to learn to be people of truth, who live according to the truth. And part of that is, I believe, spiritual ideas, that even when you look at the Bible and what the Bible says about Jesus and the truth of God, all those are, are true for, objectively true. They're true for everyone. For whether you like them or not, and the, if they're true, then the consequences of denying that truth are severe for everyone who denies it, because it's reality. Now, I thought about trying to explain this, and then I found a video that I think really explains this idea really well, this idea of how we need to, to deal with actually the definition of what truth is and how it's changing in our culture, this difference between objective and subjective truth. Watch this. I hope it will help. You're in a conversation with someone about truth, but you get the sense that what they mean by truth and what you mean by truth are not the same thing. What would you say? Definitions matter. In conversations with others, we'll often find that we are using the same vocabulary but not the same dictionary. If we want to have good conversations, we should first clarify our definitions. The next time the word truth comes up in a conversation, here are three things to remember. Number one, some people mistakenly treat their subjective claims as though they are objectively true. Subjective truth claims are grounded in the subjects, the people who make them. My statement, chocolate chip cookies are the best dessert, for example, is a matter of personal opinion. I, as the subject, get to decide if the claim is true. And while it may be true for me, it isn't necessarily true for others. That's okay because everyone is entitled to their personal subjective opinion about a variety of claims, from what they prefer for dessert, desire in a new car, or favor for a movie. But many people think all truth claims are a matter of personal or cultural perspective. If this is correct, truth is entirely subjective, grounded either in the personal views of individual subjects or the collective cultural consensus of groups of subjects. Number two. Understanding the difference between subjective and objective truth claims can be a matter of life or death. While my claim about dessert is grounded in my personal subjective tastes, some claims are true regardless of my preferences. That's because they aren't grounded in the desires of a subject, but are instead grounded in the nature of an object. We call these kinds of claims objective truth claims. Imagine, for example, you're foraging for edible mushrooms with a friend. Your goal is the tasty Asian patty straw mushroom, a variety of mushroom that is used extensively in Asian cuisines. You find one, but your friend abruptly stops you from picking it. That's not a patty straw, she says. That's a death cap mushroom. They look alike, but death caps are called that for a reason. They are extremely poisonous. You smartly decide to leave the mushroom alone. 
What made your friend's statement about the death cat mushroom true? Was it simply her subjective opinion? If you held a different opinion about the mushroom, would that have rendered it safe to eat? Is the truth about the poisonous nature of the mushroom grounded in your subjective opinion or in the nature of the mushroom itself? Your friend's declaration is an excellent example of an objective truth claim. The death cat mushroom is poisonous for anyone who eats it, whether they would personally affirm the claim or not. Death cat mushrooms are poisonous is an objective claim about reality rooted in the nature of the object, the mushroom. It might be a true objective claim or it might be a false objective claim, but one thing is certain, our personal subjective opinion won't change the innate nature of the mushroom. Number three, caring people help others to understand the difference between subjective and objective truth claims. Imagine responding to your friend's claim about the mushroom in the following way. Oh, mushrooms have been a delicacy for thousands of years and I love them. From my perspective, they're all safe to eat. Should your friend intervene and stop you from eating the death cap? If so, on what basis could she do this if all truth claims are simply a matter of perspective? If your friend does stop you from eating the poisonous mushroom, should that intervention be seen as oppressive or hateful or some form of bigotry? If all truth claims are simply a matter of subjective perspective, her efforts could certainly be seen in one of those ways. But if there is an objective deadly truth about the nature of the death cat mushroom, her efforts to help you see the difference between subjective and objective claims should be seen as nothing less than an act of righteous compassion. She apparently loved you enough to clarify your confusion. When we share what's objectively true about the nature of God, the claims of Christianity, or the truth of the Christian worldview, we show a similar concern for the people we love. Christianity may be true or it may be false, but one thing is certain, our personal subjective opinion about Jesus won't change who he is or what he did for us. Don't be afraid to help people understand that truth involves more than their personal perspective. Your efforts just may save their lives. So the next time you're in a conversation and the word truth comes up, remember these three things. Number one, some people mistakenly treat their subjective claims as though they are objectively true. Number two, understanding the difference between subjective and objective truth claims can be a matter of life or death. Number three, caring people help others understand the difference between subjective and objective truth claims. So I hope that explains some of the difference. You know, you see what's going on in our culture is that there are many people that are, that are arguing that truth isn't something that is objective. There is no objective reality outside of ourselves to which we have to answer. Everything is subjective. But when you see su everything is subjective, what happens is that therefore any objective facts suddenly then are reinterpreted and manipulated to, you know, to support my subjective truth. And this is the kind of confusion that is really behind so many things that are going on here. Even, for example, we talked about the you know, disagreement in the Rittenhouse verdict. And what is going on? You have people that have different ideas of truth. And so whether we're trying to really discern the objective truth based on the evidence or whether it's about my story. In the past five years, we've heard a lot about fake news. Again, that's something that before, you know, five years ago, it didn't even exist, that term. 
But now it's an accusation that's shouted by both people on both sides, or people on both sides of the political aisle about the other person somehow falsely reporting the news. Now, this grows out of, I think, a primarily a confusion about the nature of truth. If truth is primarily subjective, then my truth becomes real. And therefore, since my truth is real, any true news is something that tells my story, even if it's factually false. On the other hand, anyone who reports on things that disagree with my truth, I can accuse of doing fake news, even if what they're saying is actually what happened. And so that's why you have not only disagreement, but this incredible division over the disagreement, because we don't even agree on what truth is. Another example of this, and, and again, this is more sensitive, but it's, it's one that we need to bring out here, is, is an example of this is the whole transgender movement. You know, for all of human history, we've understood that, the whole, that there is an objective truth about what it means to be male and female. Biologically, there is a difference. Biologically, men and women have different sexual organs. And it's not even just the external. It's actually, you could go internally and you could look at the biology and the chemistry, you could take a DNA test and you could see if somebody has an, two X chromosomes or an X and a Y chromosome. There is a difference between male and female. But in the last decade, our culture has elevated subjective truth and rejected objective truth, so now the wisdom of our world proclaims that your subjective feeling about your gender, well, that's your objective truth. And so whether you feel like you're male and female, that subjective aspect is more real than the objective truth of science. And so that's why you have such incredible division over this. Now, even as I say that, I want to recognize that I know that there are people that, that struggle with transgenderism. Some may be here. I know many of you have family members and friends that do. And even with all this, I say this with love and compassion. And I know that there are some that struggle with it, and that struggle is difficult. But I do so at the same time with love. In a sense that just as, according to the video, if you look at a poisonous mushroom, it's loving to say, no, the objective nature of that is it's poisonous and it can kill you. So in the same way, if there's an objective truth, I want you to see the truth because the truth sets, sets you free. See, the more that we live in alignment with what is real, with what is true, the healthier we will be. The more that we be, live out of alignment with what is real, with what is true, the more broken we will be. Now, someone might say, well, can we, even if we talk about the idea that they're being truth, well, that's your opinion, that's your truth, and how do I know that, that, you know, that, you, that you're right? Well, here's where I want to come back and say, as we look at this, ultimately, all truth is defined by God. Remember his definition. Objective truth is defined by the nature of the object. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about the object, and the object is, something, is what? It's creation. It's the world that God has made. And the objective nature of that is that since God made it, he defines it. So he defines it. The nature of truth is something that is absolute, meaning it does not change. It doesn't change with time. It doesn't change for people. It's true regardless of how a person feels about it, whether they like it or agree with it or not. It's living in accordance with what is true, with what is factual, what is reality. And, in, and what we see then is the more that I align my life with what is true, the healthier I will become, the healthier our culture will become. Uh, the more that I am less aligned with what is true and actual, the more dysfunctional I will become and our culture will do come. Now, I understand that even as I say that, there are some that are going to find that objectionable. Many in our people in our culture will find that objectionable. 
They'll say, you know, that's arrogant and judgmental to say that your truth is superior to anyone else's truth. And, and even if we say there's absolute truth, how can anyone know that it's right? How can you say that yours is right? And here's why I want to be really clear. I'm not saying that my opinion is right. I'm saying my opinion is wrong. See, what I'm saying is that God is the source of all truth. And all of us, myself included, needs to come to God's word and say, I may have certain feelings about things, and when my feelings disagree with God's word, then who's going to win? Am I going to try to somehow justify my behavior or explain away God's word, or am I going to say, God, when we disagree, I admit that I'm wrong and I need to conform to what you say because that's what truth is. And the fact is, is that all of us are going to have times where God, God's word confronts not only our culture, he confronts our own ideas, our opinions, our lifestyles. And, and I need to let God confront me, and he has numerous times. As a pastor, my goal is not in any way to preach my truth or my opinion about things. There have been many times that God confronts my opinions, and, and I, I need to surrender. Sometimes it's hard to do that, but I need to surrender. And I tell you, as I get up to speak, I never want to speak my, my feelings, my opinions. Instead, my goal is to say, I want to be faithful to, to explaining what God says, because his is the ultimate truth. That's why we preach from the Bible. That's why we put Bible verses up there every week. That's why where we show you every week, here's where it came from. And I'll tell you, if you hear me say something and you don't see where it came from in the Bible, then disregard it. Because my, I'm not that smart. I'm, you know, I'm not going to claim that my opinion is better than anyone else. But on the other hand, if you hear me say something and you see where it came from in the Bible, what you need to realize is that your disagreement isn't with me. It's ultimately with God. And it's not a question of my opinion and my truth versus your truth. It's ultimately your truth versus God's truth, which is the truth. And the question is then, are you going to battle against him? Are you going to try to redefine things to make it, you know, what you want it to be? Or are you going to surrender and say, I want to align myself with what's real? Now, even as we struggle with that, it's, that's hard to do. Because there's a sense that we think that there's, that God's, you know, truth is rules and that restricts our freedom. And, but the Bible says, no, there's actually a positive relationship between God's truth and, and freedom. See, people often see, again, well, you know, here's the, these are rules, and, and it tells us what we shouldn't do, and, and freedom is the ability to do whatever we want. Look at what Jesus said about this. We read this a few moments ago in John chapter 8. He said this. He said to the Jews uh, who had believed in him, if you abide in my word and are truly my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth brings freedom. You see, the common misconception is that freedom is doing whatever you want to do. That's what most people think of freedom. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lie. It's a deception about freedom. True freedom is doing what we're meant to do. It's doing what we're designed to do, living the life that God designed us for. Naturally, we don't have the freedom to do that because naturally we're drawn by our desires so much so that we don't do the things that are healthy for us. We do things that we might know are destructive, but because we have these desires, we're in a sense enslaved. That's what Jesus said a few verses later. Truly, truly, I say to everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. You know, sin is something that we're drawn by this, and so we're doing things that we want to do, even though we deep down know that they're destructive. See, our problem isn't, isn't you know, it isn't a freedom thing and, well, I want to do this. It's really something that 
we want to do something, you know, and I, let's take for example, you know, people, you know, affairs and things like that. Everybody knows that's going to destroy your family. So why do people do things? Why do people do things that you just know are going to be destructive? Because we're bound by our sin, by our sin nature. So what does the truth do? It comes like a light. In fact, if we go to John 8, it talks about this. John 3, numerous places, it talks about God's truth as a light. Think about even the illustration of a light. Okay, if, the idea is that if we're in sin, we're in darkness. When we're in darkness, are you free? Yeah, to some degree you are. You can go any direction you want. You can, you know, you're free to do whatever. But what happens? Because we're in darkness, we're bound by the darkness. And while in theory you may be free, with, I mean, any, you know, we're just kind of shuffling around. We're afraid of stubbing our toes. We're afraid, if you have kids, you're afraid of stepping on those Legos. I don't know why they make those so painful, but they do. And, you know, and if you've stepped on them, you know what I mean. And, but we're, we're walking around and we're being really, really careful. There's not freedom. And what happens is that you turn on the light and suddenly the light, before you're controlled by the darkness, suddenly the light sets you free. That's why Jesus talks about you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, it's a light that we're tempted to reject. Why? Because it exposes. And part of what it exposes, it exposes our brokenness and our need. See, it always reveals truth. Jesus is our creator. He is our designer. He has designed us to live in a certain way. And when the light comes on, it shows us that none of us live perfectly the way that we're designed to do. It exposes areas and talks about in James 3, or James 1, I'm sorry, that it's like a mirror where we look at this mirror and it shows us the true nature of ourselves. And there's things in our life that we don't want to see. Look at what Jesus, what Jesus says about this in John chapter 3. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So there's part of us that are drawn to the darkness. Why? Because there's something that I feel like I want to hide. I want to control. He continues... For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. There's part of me that wants to hide it. But at the same time, we realize that even as we walk in darkness, we're really not free. And what we need is the light, because the more we align ourselves with the truth, the healthier our lives will be, the healthier we will function. And so we see that while we, part of us wants to hide it, there's also a relationship between light and freedom. And that's what God wants us to realize, that there's a light, that, that truth exp, uh, reveals something of, the he, of, of, of uh, healing and freedom. And, and we, you know, he wants us to see in his word, that when you see in his word, that exposes the truth and that truth sets us free. It shows us ultimate reality. It shows us the way that we're to live. See, again, think of the illustration of we're walking in the darkness. We're not really free. Suddenly it comes on. And there might be some things that are exposed that we want to hide, some things that we, you know, that about us, about the room around us that we don't want to see. But it helps us to see what is real. And it helps us to make the decisions that we want to make to be able to be healthier. See, if this is true then, how do we respond practically? Just, you know, just in some thoughts and as we, in kind of closing. What does it mean to live this out? How do we then live as people who not only seek to tell the truth, but be people of truth, who build our lives on the foundation, this bedrock of truth? Again, we realize that our culture is increasingly pushing its own version of subjective truth. And one of the things that we have to realize is that it's not just the culture. There's a spiritual element to this. In fact, you know, Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 6. 
he talks about the fact that the struggle that we live in, it's, it's not just a matter of our culture and our world, but there's a spiritual battle with spiritual forces. But he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And he says, okay, this is the reality. So therefore, because that's the case, you need to prepare. And he talks about we need to put on spiritual weapons, armor. So he continues. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all the stand, stand firm. And then he says, okay, this is the armor I want you to do. What's the first one? Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. I don't know. I don't know about you, but when I read that, there's part of me that thinks after this great introduction, the spiritual battle, and he defines this, and he says, okay, I want you to start by putting on the battle. Now, what's the first thing in the battle? Your belt. And your, your belt? You know, I've been wearing belts my whole life, and I've never thought of it as a piece of armor. You know, fashion accessory, maybe a piece of armor, an essential piece of armor do you start with? And even in that, you know, how, how many you are wearing belts today? How many put that on first? It didn't work real well. I mean, we put on our belts last. And yet he says, start with the belt of truth. Now, part of it is the, the belt and armor was really different than what we wear. See, what it was is it was a foundational piece of a, soldier's, a Roman soldier's armor because it was the thing that held everything else together. So when you put on the breastplate, you would fasten it to the belt so that it's not in a boat, you know, popping around. You would tuck in your, your, your tunic so that you could run. You put your sword on that. All the other pieces would be there. And in a sense, what he's saying is you start with truth. Because if you try to come to any other answers and people will come to, well, here's the answer. Here's my opinion. Here's my truth about spiritual things. If you start with your truth, you're going to be all confused and the whole thing's going to fall apart. The only way to hold it all together is you start with the belt of truth, of objective truth of God's word. We need to start there as followers of Christ. So again, what does it mean practically? I think for starters, it means that we need to be mindful and discerning about the world's truth. The fact is we live in a world where we are bombarded with the world's messages. So you get up and you, you know, you, you know, if you, you know, watch TV, you listen to the news, you read anything, you go online, you, you know, you see, um, you know, Facebook, you see, you know, Instagram, whatever, all these sources of information and as our world is not only believing this idea of subjective truth, it's preaching it and it's proclaiming it. And we're bombarded with that. So that over time, it becomes natural for us to think that way. And as followers of Christ, we need to realize that we are in a spiritual battle where there is something that is being sold to us and we shouldn't just buy it. We need to think about it. We need to evaluate it. We need to be aware that there are many times that we're being deceived and being lied to and we need to be, dis we need to be dis uh, um, discerning and mindful. I love what it says in Romans chapter 12 about this. It's, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what, the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to this world. One translation, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Now, what do you have to do to be conformed to this world? Nothing. You live in it. You realize he's not saying, okay, don't try to be conformed. It's saying, don't let yourself be conformed. Because the fact of the matter is, is that we live in the world where we are bombarded with the world's values, and if we do nothing, we will be conformed. That's the natural state of things. 
And so he said, don't let yourself be conformed to this world. Be discerning. Watch out for the lies. Test the spirits in a sense. Test the messages. Think. And instead, be intentional. Don't let yourself be conformed. And how do you not let that happen by intentionally making the decision to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? That's something that we do intentional, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That we make an intentional decision to say, okay, I'm bombarded with this, and I need to make the decision to now find biblical truth. And that starts by, okay, being here in church. But I will also say, if the only time that you are letting your mind be filled with any biblical truth is for an hour on Sunday morning, you've got 167 hours that you're being told one thing, and one hour you're being told another thing, chances are you're going to be more likely conformed than transformed. So we need to realize that this is an intentional decision and it's something that we have to make not only on Sunday morning, which is a good starting point, but throughout the week. Are you spending time in God's word? Are you reading the Bible? What are you listening to? What is the source of news? What is the music are you listening to? Are you in any kind of community group, a fellowship? Are you talking with other believers? If you're surrounded by non-believing friends and they're constantly pushing their value system, should you be surprised that you start to think like them? And don't we realize that if I'm going to make the decision to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, that's an intentional decision that means pursuing that, of making it a priority. And so that I not only then learn to think according to truth, but then as a person of truth, we need to tell the truth. And that means not only lying, but that means even as we interact with other people, we need to tell the truth, but in a way that's full of grace and truth. And so we realize that even if you look at the, the, you know, the, the story earlier and you say, okay, here's this person, he's going to take this grace, you know, death cap mushroom. You want to be people of truth. It's not like, well, if that's what your opinion, I don't want to offend you. No, we've got to lovingly come and say, well, no, that's going to kill you. That's not being judgmental. That's not being harsh. That's being loving. That's being compassionate. My friends, if spiritual truth is every bit as real, then we're warning people by the truth, but we're doing it with Grace. I love this description of Jesus. It's a well-known passage. We think of Christmas, but it's such a great, great principle. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He was full of truth. He never compromised speaking the truth, but yet he did it in a way that was full of grace, not condemning, not beating people up, not, you know, not preaching in a sense, but speaking the truth, but in a way that wasn't about condemnation, but about saying, here's a warning, and here's, I want to I point out the need, not because I'm telling you you're a bad person, but I have to point out the need, because if I don't tell you the need, you're never going to find the solution. And my friends, we've got to be a place of tremendous grace, but recognizing the true nature of grace is that we're also willing to speak truth that we're people of truth, that learn to speak truth and live according to truth because we understand that the more that we align ourselves with the truth, the healthier we will be, the healthier personally, the healthier relationships, the healthier the culture. And the more that we get unaligned and, and allow our culture to and the people around us, and if we're unwilling to ever point that out, you see, the more dysfunctional they'll become. And it, by grace and truth that we're speaking that truth, inviting to grace. And even this morning, I realized that, you know, if we said anything and we may have stepped on, I may have stepped on toes and, and offended, my goal is to speak the truth, but not to condemn or offend. It's to speak the truth, to point out the need so that you can find the solution. 
The fact is, the Bible, it's white. We're all sick. Well, all of us. I'm not looking down on anybody. We're all sick, but I know the healer. We all have sinned, but I know the one who paid the price on the cross so that our sin, my sin could be forgiven. And so I'm one beggar going to another beggar saying, this is where I found bread. But this is the truth. This is the truth. May we be people that embrace that truth, live that truth, share that truth, and experience the blessings that come as we align ourselves with the truth that we're created for.